2 Kings chapter 10, we'll be looking at these verses here. We're going to read the first 10 verses. And uh, 2 Kings chapter 10, uh, we'll look at a few more verses as well this morning, but just uh, to start off here. And Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote letters and sent to Samaria unto the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to them that brought up Ahab's children, saying, Now as soon as this letter cometh to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, a fenced city also, and armor. Look even out the best and meetest of your master's sons, and set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid, and said, Behold, two kings stood not before him. How then shall we stand? And he that was over the house, and he that was over the city, the elders also, and the bringers up of the children, sent to Jehu, saying, We are thy servants, and will do all that thou shalt bid us. We will not make any king, and do thou that which is good in thine eyes. Then he wrote a letter the second time to them, saying, If ye be mine, and if ye will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me to Jezreel. By tomorrow this time, now the king's sons, being seventy persons, were with the great men of the city, which brought them up. And it came to pass, when the letter came to them, that they took the king's sons and slew seventy persons, and put their heads in baskets, and sent them to Jezreel. That's quite the postal carrier. And there came a messenger and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons, and he said, Lay ye them in two heaps at the entering in of the gate until the morning. And it came to pass in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, Ye be righteous. Behold, I conspired against my master and slew him. But who slew all these? Know now that there shall fall into the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord hath done that which he spake by his servant Elijah. So in this passage of scripture here, and in chapters 10 and 11 of 2 Kings, we meet two men, Jehu, the former commander, and now ruler of the southern kingdom of Israel, and Jehoiada, the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom there, of Judah and Benjamin. And as we watch these men, you recognize the fact that the same forces for good and for evil are really, as we see what's going on here in the Bible, are the same evil forces and good forces that we find in our world today. There's a lot of similarities. And we can recognize the difference between leaders who are motivated by selfish ambition or leaders who are motivated by an obedience to God, a motivation for service to God. Now, in verse 16 of chapter 10, and he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chair. This is Jehu. He had a zeal for the Lord. But Jehu's zeal went beyond the assigned boundaries. He was to kill all the heads, all of Ahab's lineage. And we're going to read about how he extended. God gave him a mission to do, but he went beyond what he was supposed to do and created a lot of problems for himself. And now God gave him an important work to do. And the fact is, in in the ten tribes, or Israel, as many times is seen in the scripture, Israel being the ten tribes that split from the entirety of the nation, but... We find that these kings, I mean, uh, it was Jeroboam. God said, listen, I'll prosper you. I'll be with you. Well, he went into idolatry and God removed him. And then we have Ahab. Ahab did quite wickedly. And Jezebel, his wife. And again, every person is given what God wants them to do. They exceed that. And there are, unfortunately, not, but by God's uh, justice, there is judgment. There's consequences for uh, these actions. And the king goes behind this. Now, 
the Lord did commend Jehu. Look at me at chapter 10, verse 30. We'll just kind of do a little overview here, and then we'll get into looking at these verses. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, the children of the fourth generation, thy children of the fourth generation, shall sit on the throne of Israel. Now, what we're going to find here, just as a little precursor, is Jehu would disobey God, and yes, his children would go to the fourth generation, but their reigns or their time in office as a king would be very short. So, yes, you have four generations, but they're very short, sometimes only months. And, and so Jehu, yes, he starts off well, you know, you, humanly speaking, we're not for the courageous service of Jehoiada and his wife Jehoshaphat. The whole David's dynasty would have come to an end. Well, in David's dynasty is the messianic line, the lineage to Jesus Christ. And so we find in this period of time, Satan is still continuing to want to destroy the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that from David to Jesus Christ, there will be a perpetual lineage. That lineage will not be broken up. And the future of God's promises uh, to David, God's great plan of salvation, hinges, was all wrapped up in a little baby named Joash. And so now let's look at some of the things that are going on here in this double speak, if you would. In 2 Kings chapters 10, uh, verses 1 through 10. Now, in this passage, I want you to look with me at 1 Kings chapter 20. It was prophesied by Elijah that uh, Ahab's lineage would be destroyed. And I, I read some of this last week, but uh, as we go through this, I mean, it was, it's interesting that it got down... You think about this, Satan's trying to destroy the whole David's line, the whole nation erupts, it's, it's, it's separated, there's conflict, there's pride, there's all idolatry, there's lots of things that are going on. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 20, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisses against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat, and him that dieth in the fields shall the fowls of the air eat. There was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it goes on, it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. So Ahab, we find, you know, in the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest how thou, how Ahab humbled himself before me, because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. And so God did spare him, but nevertheless, it was listed that Ahab's wickedness would spell the disaster of his sons. Because Ahab went into horrific idolatry. And the Lord gave this mission to Jehu, as we discussed, 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 6 through 10. 
Now, the nation is divided, and the Jews were still God's people. The covenant to Abraham, the covenant to David, is still in existence. It's an unconditional promise. The Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, were unconditional. They were, and I say unconditional, on the human path. That you couldn't change it. The humans couldn't change it. That there would always be someone in David's line up to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect today. That God will one day give Israel all the promised land that he had given to Abraham thousands of years ago. And so the condition of these covenants or promises are upon the very character of God. That's why I say they're unconditional. And so in this, and that's a very significant thing, they're unconditional because they're only conditioned upon the character of God. There's nothing that humans can do to change it. Now, what was conditional, obviously, was the Mosaic Covenant, right? If you will follow this covenant, if you'll follow these commands, if you'll fo- that was conditional. The blessings of staying in the Promised Land was conditional. And uh, in this, and so uh, Ahab and Jezebel adamantly promoted Baal. And so the judgment that's coming upon these lands and eventually would lead them into uh, Babylon and, and all of the places where they would be scattered was a direct re- a result of their f- uh, unfaithfulness to follow the Mosaic Covenant. Jehu had already killed Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah. <laughs> Now, and we talked about that last week. Bad associations, bad friends, bad associates. And sometimes you can be with someone who's bad and you're at the wrong place at the wrong time and really bad things happen. And that's exactly what the king of Judah was at the wrong place at the wrong time because he had made a league with the king of Israel. He should not have. God told him not to. And it resulted in his death as Jehu would kill him, or have him killed. And Jehu was on a search and destroy mission to find and kill every one of Ahab's descendants. And that's what God told him to do. So his first challenge was to get control of the city of Samaria, and uh, uh, where you know Ahab's, all of his descendants were protected, they were placed there, they were hiding out. And so he tells the people, give me the 70 heads of the sons of Ahab. It's rather gory. Rather disgusting. And here they are in a place of leadership because until Ahab's descendants are off the scene, there's still going to be a contingent of people that are going to want to follow some of Ahab's lineage, saying he's the rightful heir to the throne. Once Jehu takes Samaria, the other key city lands would also easily surrender. And Samaria accepts Jehu's rule. I mean, the very thing, the letter cometh to you. Seeing your master's sons are with you, they're with you, chariots and horses, a fence city, also in armor. And, and then he says, and he goes on, the people in verse 4 were exceedingly afraid and said, behold, two kings stood not before him. I mean, the people here in Samaria, they realize the king of Judah has been killed and the king of Israel are killed. And they're thinking, God must be behind Jehu, or there's something in Jehu, his strong leadership, his military might. And so they trust him. They, they put their, their faith in a man whom they're afraid of. Now it shows us how shallow their faith is. And, and Jehu's able to intimidate these leaders in Samaria. 
Jehu was in Jezreel at the time. He knows that if he can just intimidate, just intimidate, he doesn't even need to fight a battle. He can write a letter, and that's exactly what he does. He writes a letter, and that letter creates such fear that people easily capitulate. They easily give in. I mean, this is an easy fight for Jehu just to write a letter. You know, Jehu, just by his words, he pointed out the advantages of these places. They had armors, they had weapons, they were a fenced city. He said, listen, you're a mighty place. And you know what Jehu did as a technique, and really a technique that is used by uh, even leaders today. He let the imaginations of the leaders get control of them. Adolf Hitler wrote, Mental confusion, contradiction of feelings, indecisiveness, panic. These are our weapons. So what he does, mental confusion, the whole thing going on today with this whole gender ideology is to create mental confusion. A contradiction of feeling. It's all of this bringing in of the very things to subdue a nation. Communism. And tyranny. And so we find this is what Jehu does. Is that he writes this letter. He lets the imagination of these leaders run wild. Here's the key. If we don't have control of our mind, our imaginations, our emotions, we are a sitting duck for the enemy. Jehu would use the techniques, as I said here, much like the revolutionaries throughout the ages have used. The message they sent to Jehu at Jezreel was one of complete, unconditional surrender. Absolutely. And they kill the 70 sons. They obey his orders. I mean, Jehu is a master of political double talk. He, ex he accepted the submission to his rule. He ordered them to take the heads of the 70 descendants. They complied. He, you know, this could mean bring the leaders among the group to me and we'll discuss matters. Or behead all 70, bring me their heads. That's what it seems to be. They stack up the heads... I mean, verse 8, lay ye them in two heaps at the entering in of the gate until the morning. Seventy heads of these men. The people, I mean, a, a, a normal person, you would be horrified to see the heads of the previous government outside the walls of the city. At the entering in. He also reminds them of the divine promise of Ahab's descendants that they would be eliminated. So Jehu washes his hands of this mass murder. But he practices something here of a double speak. Much like we see today. Taxes are now revenue enhancements. Potholes are now pavement deficiencies. We have lots of those here. People are no longer bald. They are follicularly deprived without their follicles, right? 
Hospital technicians uh, gave a fatal dose of nitrous oxide to a mother, one illustration, to about to deliver and killed both the mother and the child. They called the tragedy a therapeutic misadventure. That was murder. But Jehu, you know, poor people are now fiscal underachievers. Soldiers no longer kill the enemy. They service the target. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips, with a double heart, do they speak. Psalm 12, 2. And what's going on here, you know, he's just like, hey, this is totally okay. The Lord did what he said. We murdered him. We got him. Ha ha. So he's now succeeded. He has accomplished what God called him to do. But in his forward momentum, uh, in his push for success, he does something, he goes too far. Look with me at verses 11 through 14. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, and all his great men, and his kinsfolk, and his priests, until he left him none remaining. He arose and departed, came to Samaria, and he was as... He was at the shearing house in the way. Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah. And we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty men. Neither left he any of them. Something happens here. He was the purge of the land of Ahaz's family. Success. Check. He did that. He proceeded to kill all of his descendants, which he was supposed to do. But he didn't stop there. He killed Ahab's close friends, his chief officers, the priests who serve in the palace. I'm going to wipe out everyone who had any attachment to Ahab. They're gone. They're all gone. There's a wholesale slaughter of guilt by association. If you're associated at all with this person, you're done. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to destroy you. And the Lord wanted to rid of the land of Ahab, but he did not call him to kill these court officers. He also does something else that's rather foolish. By killing all of these officers, he's getting rid of men with experience. Men who could help Jehu in the kingdom. It would be analogous, or in the illustration would be, someone comes into a corporation, a company, and uh, they say, well, we pay all the old people or all the seasoned people uh, too much. Let's get rid of them. Let's bring in new people. Pay them less. Okay? So now you get rid of all the older people, the seasoned ones, the ones who have experience, and you bring in the younger people. What happens? You don't have the experience. You don't have the ability to be efficient because now you're having to figure out, start from scratch. When you had all that in those who were seasoned. And so those who were paying and had the experience who earned their way up, you've now removed them for the sake of money, only to put yourself further back. And that's exactly what Jehu did. So he leaves Jezreel, went to Samaria to claim his throne. And on the way, he meets a group of travelers who are also going to Samaria to visit the king, Ahaziah, who was related to them. They didn't know that King Ahaziah, King Joram, and Queen Jezebel were all dead, and that Jehu had killed them. Ahaziah had married into Ahab's family. So just 
by a mere assumption, these 42 travelers go into Jerusalem to go see the king who's no longer there. And Ahaziah was married to Jezebel's daughter. He murders them. I mean, it, it seems, hey, logical. By his assumption, well, if they're going to Jerusalem to see the king, then they must be his friends of the same king that I just murdered, and so now I need to murder all of them. What is Jehu doing? Jehu is attacking the dynasty of David. 2 Chronicles 22.8 It came to pass that when Jehu was executing judgment upon the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of the brethren of Ahaziah that ministered to Ahaziah, he slew them. I mean, he's just ready to get rid of everyone. And then Jehu continues his horrific reign, verse 15 of 2 Kings 10. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right, as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained in Ahab and Samaria till he had destroyed him, according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. Now, Jehonadab is actually a good man. He enlists a friend, Jehonadab, uh, the Rechabite. And if you read about the Rechabites, and we'll talk about them here shortly, uh, but they were people that belonged to the Kenites and the descendants of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab. You'll find that in Judges 4.11. And, uh, you know, he used this man, Jehonadab, who is a respectable, honest man, to help him gain some integrity, right? To give him a respectability. Uh, and so they identify with the tribe of Judah, but stayed to themselves and followed the traditions laid down by their ancestors. Jeremiah 35 tells us this. They were highly respected people being nomads, tent dwellers, the Rechabites were separated from that everyday city life and politics of the Jew. And it would even be, you find in the scriptures, that the, the Rechabites would sit down and they put wine and stuff before them and they said, no, we don't drink wine. We don't partake of this. Our father told us not to. I mean, these are people that just live by principle. So Jehu thinks, if I can get them on my camp, then by association, I, I'm a scoundrel, but I've got these people who are good, and so it can make people think, well, if he has him with him, then maybe he's not so bad. Politics. <laughs> and uh, so Jehonadab, he steps into the chariot and, you know, declared that he was heart and soul behind the new king. Jehonadab disapproved of Baal worship. He hated it. I mean, the Rechabites were people that were just for God. They were simple, but they went forward for the Lord. Even every ambitious leader needs a respectable second man to help sell his policies and practices to the public. And Jehu had begun to murder innocent people. Now he's using an innocent man to make his crimes look like, well, God's behind it. God told me! No, he didn't. You went beyond what God told you to do. And so Jehu and Jehonadab arrive at Samaria with a company of leaders. He presented himself as a king, and the people submitted to him. 
Now, city officers turned Ahab's remaining relatives over him, to him, and all of Ahab's line is absolutely obliterated. And then we come to a place of deception, a sad state. It's pragmatism, what we're going to read here. The result of removing from idolatry is good. But sometimes how we get there isn't the good way. We give up integrity. We give up ethics. We give up, uh, really, our character, our testimony, for the sake of accomplishing something which might be good. But the path we got there was not good. Look with me at verse 18 through 28. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. Now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, and all his priests, let none be wanting. For I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtlety to the intent that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. So we find what he's doing right here. He's saying, well, I'm a great worshiper of Baal. I mean, he, he comes off as a very adamant Baal idolater worshiper. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal, and they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent through all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came. So there was not a man left that came not. And they came into the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was full from one end to another. And he said unto him, That was over the vestry, Bring forth vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. And he brought them forth vestments. And Jehu went, and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worshippers of Baal only. He said, Get rid of all the Jehovah worshippers. And when they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, Jehu appointed fourscore men without, so he eighty men, and said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escape, he that letteth them go, his life shall be for the life of him. It came to pass, as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering. Jehu said to the guard and the captains, Go in and slay them, let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword. And the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images of the house of, out of the house of Baal and burned them. And they brake down the image of Baal and brake down the house of Baal and made it a draught house into the state. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. That is good. Getting rid of Baal. That's good. But he does it in a way of lying that he is a Baal worshiper. Now what he's done is he's compromised his character and testimony for God. He, and now Baal worship had infected the land. We know that from Ahab and Jezebel. They were horrific. I mean, they were great proselytes of Baal. He could have dealt with them in one of three ways. He could have commanded them to leave the land or he could have obeyed Deuteronomy 13 and killed the worshipers. He didn't need to say, I'm a Baal worshiper, and to lure them in. He didn't need to compromise his testimony. He could have just said, thus saith the Lord, the Mosaic Covenant tells us, if you're an idolater, we're going to murder you. You're, you're dead. Justice is, you're dead. He could have done that. And he would have been abiding by what they had committed. He might have tried to convert them. You know, hey, you either convert and start following God, or you're dead, or you're out of the land. Leave the land. I mean, he had the promised support of the leaders in Samaria. They were behind him. I know there was some fear behind them because Jehu had done some unspeakable things. Why 
would he choose to lie to somehow do God's work? Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 8. We'll come back to the second Kings, but uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Romans 3, 8. And verse 7, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie into his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let, and here's the key, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. And he's talking about this, you know, who, what then? Are we better than they? No, no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so, you know... Do evil that good may come. And and that's what he's trying to do. Do evil. What is he trying to do? Jehu is stepping into God's place. Doing it man's way, not God's way. If he says, thus saith the Lord. You'll remember several kings of Judah said, we're getting rid of idolatry. We're getting rid of the abominations of perversion in our land. They look at the word of God, they, they fast, they're in sackcloth and ashes, they said, we're getting it out of our land, we're done with it, we're done with the wickedness, we're done with the evil. What does God say? And it's enough of trying to figure things out in our own ways and just say, what does God say? Now, Jehu steps into God's place to do to get rid of idolatry, which is good. But the problem is, is he puts himself in the place of God, calling his evil lying appropriate. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, the Apostle Paul, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. He says, listen, our exhortation to you Thessalonians, I didn't deceive you, I didn't lie to you. Here's the truth. He had authority from Moses to kill the idolaters, and that he did. But why does he have to say he's one of them? This would be like an, in, an individual saying, well, in order to reach people in the bars, I need to go into the taverns. I need to drink with them, and then I can tell them about Jesus. No, you're going to become one of the reprobates like them. He lied to them about himself. He lied about the service. A double speak. He was a military man. He was a cunning military leader. Strategist. But he could not bring glory to God in the actions that he committed. Jehu really did have a lust for blood. We don't read in this passage of Scripture that Jehu went to the Lord and said, okay, now that Ahab's line is killed, now that the people are gone, how do I proceed forward from here? How do I, God, what do I do? He didn't seek God's mind. And as a result, his family, his children would pay a heavy price. 
He assembles the prophets, the ministers, the priests. You know, coming from the king to the religious leaders, the announcement that Ahab served Baal a little, I'll serve him much. That is going to, any true believer is going to create such disgust. So he puts them away. And the very people that would actually be for him, or be behind him, or advocate for his rule, he murders them. So he's got another group of believers, however many there were, not many, but there were some. However many there were, he alienates himself from those who actually love God. And then he unites himself with the wicked, only to murder the wicked, for the sake of God. You know, you've lost your testimony with this group, so now who can you rule? You have no one to lead. And he would destroy the house of Ahab in two senses, his physical house or family and the house he built for Baal. And once the people are in the temple, they blocked all the entrances. He commanded the Baal worshipers, wear special garments. He's not, this is one of the places, in fact, that he really made a very foolish decision. Because he's created such a chasm in the land. Politically, he can't pull himself back from it, but by the grace of God. And in his zeal to want to be godly under his own terms, in the lie, you know, he says, wear these special clothes. Why would he want him to wear special clothes? The Baal worshippers. Well, because he says, I want pure worship. He instructs his 80 soldiers outside to be ready to enter the temple as soon as the sacrifice was ended. I was actually just reading this morning as I was there in Jeremiah. And uh, I was looking at a particular commentary. And the commentator, he says, idolatry reduces its worshipers to animal actions. Really, you become very animalistic. And just bloodthirsty. And you find that, I mean, in, in, our, in our society, you'll find certain plants, certain fish, and other things that will mimic another animal that is benign or not harmful, and they will look like it only to actually be a predator and destroy. Or give you the, in, the perception that they're good only to entrap you and consume you. And that's exactly what he's doing. And what was once the sacred house of Baal was turned into a public latrine. I mean, it was just a filthy place. And Baal worship had in one day been wiped out. Now, here's the question. Can you trust Jehu, who existed upon false perceptions? He's lost the people to trust him. You can't move forward with it. His first public act as a king was an act of deception there. And thereby destroyed the ability to trust him.
Is it any wonder? You know, and again, what he, you know, and sometimes as Christians today, look at what so-and-so did. Wow, it's amazing. But you don't want to follow them because they've compromised so much to get to that position. Wow, look at all the Baal worshippers are gone. We can now serve God. Look at me, Jehu. So the action can be right, and we want to follow the guy because the, action, the end result of what they did was good. But look how they got there. It wasn't good how they got there. You see, how we play out our lives and how we live out and apply the truths of God are very important. Let's fly. As you think about this, very thing. And we'll talk about next week compromise, looking a little further in finishing chapter 10 and coming into chapter 11. But Jehu, he took what God told him to do, and he always went more upon his own philosophy. And whenever I do what God wants me to do, but I do extra what I want to do, It always leads to heartache. Or, like Saul, you don't do what God told you to do. Again, it leads to heartache. So a deviation from a path that God gave is a detour to destruction. And that's exactly what we find as you look at these historical books. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Father, for the principles and the truths from your word. God, may we be steadfast to do what is right. Father, to do what is appropriate. And Father, may we not compromise our principles of the word of God or devious in how we got there. But Father, may we just walk step by step with thee. I love you. Thank you for your grace. I pray that you bless this morning hour as we go into it. That all that's said and done be pleasing to you. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you here.